Lessons from the Flood, Part 2. We looked briefly yesterday at the biography of a righteous man, Noah. Today we're going to switch things up a little bit. We're going to look at something else. But I invite you to lift up your mind in prayer as we open with a word of prayer. Pray that you will ask the Lord to drive the message home that He wants you to take from this message deep into your heart. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it's been rich, Lord. It's been wonderful. The great resources that we have now inside of our heads, in our notepads, on our computers, wherever it may be, we've learned so much. And Lord, sometimes it can be a little overwhelming. But Father, we're tearing just a little bit longer here this morning because we want to learn more before we leave and go home. So Father, I pray that you will hold back the clouds of darkness, that you will evict the evil spirits that are seeking entrance into this place, And that only the sweet presence of your Holy Spirit will permeate this premises. So, Father, speak to our hearts, I ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. One evil thought after another. The purposes, the desires, the thoughts, the inclinations of man was only evil continually. Continually. And in verse 11 and 12, the Bible tells us that not only was it the thoughts of men that was only evil continuously, but in verse 11 and 12, the Bible tells us that the thoughts were put into action. Because Scripture tells us, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so the thoughts of men were acted out in their actions. And the Bible tells us, That there was violence and corruption upon the earth. Ellen White tells us that the antediluvian world delighted in putting God out of their minds. The antediluvian world delighted in putting God out of their minds. Now this morning we are going to find that we have more in common with the antediluvian world and those outside of the ark than we do sometimes with the ones that were inside of the ark. The antediluvian world delighted in putting God out of their minds. I pray that that cannot be said of you. Verse 6, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, 
both men and beast and creeping thing and the fowl of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Twice it says that God was repented that he had created man. That's how evil the mind of man was before the flood. Yet through all this, Scripture tells us that there was a man who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And we spent time looking at this righteous man because we want to exhibit the character of Noah in the day that we are living in. We're making a parallel here. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. As we look at the time of Noah, we see a representation of what it will be like in the last days of this earth's history. And if that is the case, then Noah is a symbolic depiction of how God's people will live in the final ages of earth's history. And the Bible tells us that Noah was a just man. He was righteous. The Bible tells us that Noah was perfect in his generation. The Bible tells us that Noah walked with God. The Bible tells us that Noah obeyed all that the Lord commanded him. What a great biography that was left by this righteous man. But 10 manuscript releases, page 371. Inspiration tells us this. Because of his holy integrity, that is Noah's holy integrity, and unwavering adherence to God's command, Noah was counted singular indeed and made himself an object of contempt and derision by answering the claims of God without questioning doubt. What a contrast to the prevailing unbelief and universal disregard for his law. Noah wasn't looked up to during the time of the flood, uh, before the flood. He was held in contempt by the antediluvian world. And in fact, if you read Ellen White's writings, there are several places where she comments on this story. And, and you look at the description of the antediluvian world and how they viewed Noah. It's quite interesting. I'll summarize it for you. The antediluvian world thought Noah was insane. They were impatient with him and his persistent preaching. They thought he was egotistical in the message that he, that he preached. You know, some think the Seventh-day Adventist church is egotistical because they say we're the, we say we're the remnant church of Bible prophecy. But if Scripture says it, that's all that matters. They thought he was egotistical. They thought his doctrine was fanciful and an illusion. They considered him a fanatic. They scoffed and jeered at him. They rejected his message, and he was an object of contempt and derision. That's what you, as the final generation by God's grace, have to look forward to. That's the way the sinful world in the time of the flood viewed Noah. It won't be any different for us. Yet this kind of reminds me, as I, as, I, as I summarize this description of the way they viewed Noah in the time of the flood, it reminds me of a passage that Jesus gives to us in Matthew chapter 5. Go there with me, if you would, in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10, 11, and 12. The Bible says this, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. What's the next word? <laughs> How many of you like to rejoice when people are mistreating you? None of us like to be mistreated. And the thought of rejoicing is the last thing that comes to our mind. But Scripture tells us to rejoice and be exceeding glad. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. The Bible tells us that when we are persecuted, not just persecuted because we live a, you know, our own weird life, but persecuted for the truth's sake, the Bible tells us that we are blessed to be persecuted for the truth's sake. And this is the life that Noah lived. He was looked down upon, reviled, persecuted, but great was his reward for his obedience to the, king, to, to the Father in heaven. 10 Manuscript Release, page 371, it says this, Noah was tested and tried thoroughly, and yet he persevered his, or preserved his integrity in face of all the world. Listen to this. All the world, all, all against him. Thus will it be when the Son of Man shall be revealed. How much of the world was against Noah? How much? Oh. Now, there were a small group of people that helped him for a short period of time that believed in the message. Ellen White talks about how Methuselah helped Noah stay the tie of evil in the world. But Ellen White tells us that all the world was against Noah and his message. And it's not going to be any different for us. This is why we as young people must have a religious experience of our own. That we can stand on our own two feet in our walk with the Lord. And not be dependent upon our pastor. Not be dependent upon our youth leaders. Not be dependent upon religious leaders in our life or our family or our friends. We must have our own unique individual experience with the Heavenly Father every morning. So that we know we are walking according to His will. As the time of the flood came closer and closer, Noah and his family were drifting further and further away from the world. And as the time of the flood came closer and closer, the hearts of the antediluvian world became harder and harder against the truth that Noah was preaching. And I pray by God's grace that as the world comes to an end, as we get closer and closer to the end of this world, that we are getting further and further away from the world and closer and closer to that ark of safety that God has given to us. But there are two rules that I want to share with you this morning that are without exception. Two rules that are without exception. The first rule that is without exception is all who are disobedient will be lost. What is the first rule that's without exception? All who are disobedient will be lost. That is unrepented disobedience. You can see that from the flood. All that were disobedient were lost. Were lost. The Bible tells us in Matthew 24 and verse 39, the flood came and took them all away. Why did the flood come and take the, the, the wicked world away? Disobedience 
But simply put, it was because they were on the outside of the ark and not on the inside. Which was disobedience. That's right. Why did the flood come and take them all away? Because they were outside of the ark of protection, the ark of safety that God had allowed Noah, his manservant, to build so that they could be protected through the time of this great catastrophe on the earth. It was the disobedient ones that were destroyed by the flood. There was nothing outside of the ark that would protect the antediluvian world from the wrath of God. But it was only on the inside of the ark that they found safety. Now what I want to do, just for a few moments here, is I want to look into the faces of the wicked people in the antediluvian time. I want to look into their faces and ask the question, who are these wicked people, these disobedient ones that were swept away by the flood when those floods of water came from up and down and covered the entire surface of the earth? Who were those wicked people? We tend to think that they were just some sort of crazy, nomadic, idolatrous people that were crazy and totally against the Lord. And that is partly true, but it is not the entire picture. For Ellen White tells us in 10 Manuscript Release, page 372, men in Noah's days were not all absolute idolaters. There were other people in that crowd. It wasn't just wicked people in the sense of wicked people in the sense of, of, of those who worship idols and, and things of that nature. Not all of the people outside of the ark were given up to full idolatry. So, who were these people on the outside? The destruction of the world was universal. Poor, rich, famous, not famous. Those who were religiously zealous, those who were not religiously zealous, all alike, those on the outside were all destroyed by the flood. Who were these wicked people? Well, Genesis chapter 5 and verse 30, the Bible tells us something very interesting. There are four groups of wicked people that I'm going to outline for you this morning. And here's the first one. Genesis chapter 5 and verse 30, the Bible says, And Lamech, Lamech was Noah's father, and Lamech lived after he begat Noah 595 years. And what's the rest of it say? And begat what? Okay, so, so follow the, 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 what the Bible's saying here. So Noah's born, Lamech lives for 595 years, and the Bible says, and begets what? Sons and daughters. It appears from the passage that Noah was the firstborn. And that after Noah was born, that Noah had what? Brothers and sisters. Yet we find that as we look at the biblical account that none of Noah's brothers and sisters were found inside the ark. Are you all with me this morning? Noah, his wife, his three sons, their three wives, eight people were only found in the ark. Now this is interesting to me because Noah's family, Noah's siblings, they all had the same opportunities that Noah had. They had the same influences in their life. They had the same great-grandfather, Enoch. They had the same 
uh, you know, uh, lessons that were taught to them by their parents. They went to the same church services that Noah went to. They listened to the same messages that Noah listened to. They went to the same Sabbath school classes that Noah went to. They heard the lessons that were taught from the life of Enoch, just like Noah heard those lessons taught to him about this great man of God that walked with God and God took him. They had all the same opportunities. But the Bible tells us that not a single one of Noah's siblings were found inside the ark. They were part of the wicked people. They were raised in a conservative Christian environment where the truths of God's word were held precious as they were taught by the parents. Lamech, great man of God. But they didn't improve in these opportunities. And it's a terrible thing to think that there will be a good number of people who've lived in good Christian environments and have good Christian mentors and good, solid Christian Adventist parents who will miss out on the kingdom of heaven because they don't improve the opportunities that have been given to them. Noah would have come to AOY. He would have heard the message, pre message preached. He would have been taking notes just like you're taking notes. He would have had his Bible sitting on his knee just like you have your Bible sitting on your knee. He would be listening to the messages that were being preached at AOY. And those messages would take deep root inside of his heart. And he would go back a changed individual and his life would be completely different as a result of being at AOY. It would draw him closer to God. But some of Noah's brothers and sisters would also have come to AOY as well. And they would have been fooling around in the hall, gossiping, checking all the other young people out. And not listening to the messages being preached, as maybe some of you have while well, you've been here at AOY. And squandering the opportunities of growing in their spiritual walk with the Lord. And the result was seen when the flood came. Noah, only of the siblings of Lamech, or the children of Lamech, was found inside the ark. The wicked people, there was Noah's family out there. There was Noah's family out there. And perhaps they even jeered their brother and made fun of him. Perhaps they even said some words of contempt that their brother was crazy and fanatical. Maybe they even spat words of accusation out of their mouths as Noah and his family walked up the ramp into the ark. Maybe they led the group of people that were there in contempt for this man of God. Noah's family, his brothers and sisters were part of the wicked people. But who else was on the outside of the ark? Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3, the Bible says this. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with men, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. During the 120 years of Noah's preaching, was the spirit striving with the hearts of men, yes or no? Apparently he was. The spirit of God was coming upon these people and convicting them of the message of Noah. Just like the Holy Spirit has come and convicted you of the messages you've heard here at AOI. And he's, he, he impressed upon their hearts the conviction that they needed to get into the ark to be saved. That even though Noah's message was fanatical and radical, that even though Noah's message went against popular 
opinions, and even the science of the time. There were people's hearts that were convicted by the moving of the Holy Spirit. And perhaps as they, as they sat there or as they stood there in the crowd, as Noah stood on those high piles of wood that were used to build the ark and preached his heart out as a preacher of righteousness, perhaps their hearts were moved as your heart was moved. And maybe when Noah made an appeal, they felt that they wanted to come forward in commitment to that appeal to get into the ark, but they were afraid to move forward on the moving of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Maybe at that night when they went home, the message of Noah was pounding inside of their heads. There was a small little section of 10 seconds that Noah's, in Noah's sermon that just touched their hearts and, and, and moved them to want to obey God. And as they're laying there in their bed that night, they feel the compulsion to obey God when that time comes and to get into the ark and be saved. But then they continue to hang around with and associate with unbelievers. And as they rub shoulders with these skeptics and spend time with them, their attitude and opinion begins to change. The conviction that was spoken into their heart begins to wane. And the servant of the Lord tells us <clears throat> in 10 Manuscript Release 372, just read the whole thing. It's a great, great article. She says this, listen, 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 listen. The class who professed to acknowledge God. Hang on a second. Were there people that were destroyed in the flood that professed to believe in God, yes or no? According to inspiration, there was. Again, they weren't all given up to complete idolatry. There were those on the outside of the ark who profess belief in God. But listen to this. The class who professed to acknowledge God were the ones who took the lead in rejecting the preaching of Noah and through, listen, through their influence led others to reject Noah's message. Lord have mercy. This is a fearful group of people. As we look at the faces of the wicked, these are people who say, yes, I believe in God. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. I believe the truths of God's word, and I worship him. But when Noah came along with his straight message that divided the world into two camps, this polarizing message, when Noah's message came, they had contempt towards him when that conviction waned. And they became the leaders of rejecting Noah's message, and they led people away from acknowledging Noah and the message that God put on his lips. Lord, have mercy that anybody here at AOI would be used by the devil as an instrument to use their influence to lead somebody away from Jesus. But young people, your influence is more powerful than you can ever imagine. And this is why each morning when we wake up in the morning, we must commit ourselves to the Father. Ella White tells us in the book Steps to Christ, she says, to pray the prayer, take me, O Lord, as holy thine. I lay all my plans at your feet. Use me today in thy service. Abide with me and let all my works be wrought in thee. That's the prayer we're supposed to pray each morning. Take me, O Lord, as holy thine. Surrendering our, ourselves to the Lord so that our influence can be used in an effective way to build up the kingdom of God and not draw people away 
from the kingdom of God. These were good Christians. They thought they had the truth. They thought they had a relationship with the Lord. But it was a religion of their own making. It was a religion of their own making that was not founded upon Jesus. They tried to excuse their sins. They came up with Bible passages that excused their sinful way of life and put Noah to the side as a radical fanatic. But these were part of the wicked on the outside of the ark. They believed in God, but were destroyed in the flood. But who else were wicked people? There's more. Last number three. There were wicked people on the outside of the ark who had the opportunity to behold amazing things. They had good influences in their life. If you do the math, Noah was born about 126 years after Adam died. Now, Adam, as you know, he was in the, in, the, in the Garden of Eden. He walked with the Lord. He talked with him and, and had all of this great dialogue with God face to face. And many people during the antediluvian time, during the time of that 120 years that Noah was building the ark, there were many people who had spoke to Adam face to face, had heard the message of Adam, or at least they knew somebody who directly knew Adam. This man of God who walked with God, who heard God's voice, who was inside the Garden of Eden and was able to tell them what it was that caused him and Eve to be expelled out of the garden. They had this great influence. This patriarch of a man in their life, they knew the message of Adam. But that influence was nullified by their rebellion. Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 1, page 61, she tells us this. The pure and lovely Garden of Eden from which the first parent, our first parents were driven remained until God purposed to destroy the earth by a flood. What that simply means is the Garden of Eden was on this earth until God destroyed the earth with a flood. And for that 120 years that Noah was preaching, there was the Garden of Eden. They could walk right up to the gates of the Garden of Eden. They could see it. Perhaps they could even see the angel of the Lord that was, that was guarding the entrance to that, to that, uh, to that uh, garden with his sword there, keeping anybody from having access to the tree of life, thus immortalizing sin if they were to eat from it. The Garden of Eden was there. The Garden of Eden was there as a testimony of what sin cost man. Separation from God. Mentioned yesterday, Enoch, great man of God. Many of the people at this time were acquainted with the story of Enoch. They could see the results of what happens when you walk with God. God blesses you. He takes you into a place of safety. He protects you, and he takes you someplace that you want to go. They had all these great influences in their lives, yet they still pursued and persisted in a course of rebellion. This is the wicked people on the outside of the ark. And many of you have good influences in your life. Many of you have bad influences as well. But God will allow each one of us to have at least one good influence in our life 
that will help draw us closer to the Lord. He will bring you to places like AOY where you can meet godly young people and godly ministers who can be positive influences in your life to point you in the direction of eternal life. But it's up to you to choose what you are going to do with that godly influence in your life. Are you going to let it draw you closer to the Lord? Or are you going to, again, reject another opportunity to know your father better and lovely influences in their lives? This is the wicked people on the outside of the ark. Number four. The wicked people that were destroyed in the ark Many of them helped to build the ark. It took 120 years to build this ark. It was 515 feet long, 86 feet wide, and 52 feet high. It took 120 years to complete. Noah could not do this work on his own. There was a vast amount of people that were employed in the cutting of wood, the preparing of wood, the, the assembling of the wood, the straightening of the logs, the laying of the keel, the pounding of the wooden pegs, the painting of the pitch. There were hundreds, if not thousands of people that were physically hands-on involved in the building of the Ark of Safety. And they were all, except for Noah and his family, destroyed in the ark, or destroyed in the flood. My sanctified imagination, I look into the eyes of these people who helped build the ark, and I see the, the look of terror in their face. They were so intimately acquainted with the ark, they had touched it day after day for 120 years. They knew all the compartments. They knew the blueprints. They knew just how it was laid out. They knew how this ark was built. They knew it better than anybody else. And there they were. They were persuaded by the influences and the pressures of society. They did not have the moral courage that Noah had and others in the Bible. They didn't have the moral courage to resist the pressures of the time. And as Noah stands on that ramp making the final appeal as you're going to hear this afternoon by Pastor Skeet. They wavered. But they decided to cast their lot with the popular opinion. And the door of probation closed. And seven days later, as the rain begins to come down onto this earth for the very first time, they realize, I have made the greatest mistake of my entire life. The look of terror in their eyes as the fountains of the great deep explode into the air and geysers of water shoot up into the sky. The sound of the bellowing of animals fearful for their lives rings in their ears and they think to themselves, I have made the greatest mistake of my life. Listen to this. Manuscript release 18, 260-262. This is just a short part of that section. She says, There are those who will be like the men and women who helped to build the ark. They hear the truth. They have every advantage to become people of moral worth. Listen to me carefully. If anybody knew the message of Noah, 
It was the builders of the ark. The ark was Noah's pulpit from which he preached for 120 years. And for 120 years, those builders of the ark heard the same message over and over and over and over again. They were the faithful Seventh-day Adventist members who come to every evangelistic series, who come to every church revival, who come to every church meeting. They're there every week and at every function. And they hear the word of God preached day after day after day. They had every advantage to become people of moral worth. Yet, they will not choose the good society, but the corrupt. If there is an influence that is not heavenly, they will gather to their side and unite with them. And although they act apart in the preparation of the truth that is to fit people to stand in the day of the Lord, listen to this, they will perish in the general ruin like Noah's carpenters who helped to build the ark. God help you that you may not be of this class. I hope you don't take this the wrong way. But I'm going to say it because I think it needs to be said. Those who built the ark are the leaders in our church. The elders, the deacons, the deaconesses, the pastors, the evangelists, the church administrators, the conference and mission and union and general conference level, building up the ark of protection. Those who are building the ark are the members of God who are faithfully working for the Lord to help build up his kingdom. We're building the ark. We don't have to be destroyed in the worldwide flood. We don't have to be destroyed in that final catastrophe in the end of this earth. And I praise God that according to scripture, there are, the people that are helping to build this ark in the last days will not all be destroyed as it was in the time of Noah. But I'm fearful that we feel that because we are Seventh-day Adventists, because we have, uh, have, have positions that are recognized in a local church and beyond, that we feel that we are entitled to the kingdom of heaven. But she tells us that there will be some, just like in the time of Noah, who helped build the ark in his time, there will be some who helped build the ark of protection in the last days of this earth's history who will be destroyed by the flood of hellfire in the lake of fire at the end of the 1,000 years. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. I said there are two rules that were without exception. We've looked at four examples of the wicked people. The first rule that is without exception is all who disobey will be destroyed, lost. They will be destroyed and killed. But the second rule that is without exception is that all who obey will be saved. Amen? Amen. That's encouraging. All who obey will be saved. This is a rule that is without exception. And so we look at Noah again. Genesis 7, verse 7. The Bible says, and Noah went in. Noah went what? Noah went in, and his sons, 
and, and his wife and his son's wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood. What did Noah do? Noah did what he was preaching that everybody else should do. He wasn't telling people one thing and then doing another. He told people what they needed to do and then he did the same thing. He went in. Verse 23, same chapter, Genesis 7, verse 23. It says, And Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him, where? In the ark. Second rule that is without exception that all who obey will be saved. Who were the ones that were inside the ark? The ones that were inside the ark were saved. How happy Noah must have been. After seven days of sitting in that ark wondering, Lord, have I done the right thing? Have I heard your voice correctly? And on that seventh day, he hears splat, splatter, splash. Splat, splatter, splash. And the ark trembles from the, from the earth moving beneath it as it shoots water up into the air. Splat, splatter, splash, roar, pour, and then the sound of thunder reverberates through the air, and it, it shakes the ark at its very core, and at that very moment, when the earth begins to shake, and the water begins to pour, and the sound of chaos is taking place on the outside of the ark. The animals are screaming and the ark begins to jostle and move as the, as the water rises up. Noah, I can see him in my mind. He gets down on his knees and he says, Lord, thank you for this ark of protection. Thank you for saving me and my family. Thank you for giving me the moral courage to stand against an entire world that is against me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There was no regrets at that point. And let me tell you something, my young friends. When you see that cloud coming in the sky the size of a man's hand, and it gets brighter and brighter and brighter, and you begin to make out the forms of angelic beings as they're streaking like light to this earth, and you hear and you feel the, 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 the earth opening up and the dead being raised to immortal life. There will be no regrets at that point. You will not regret that you were an outcast of society. You will not regret that you were looked down upon in worldwide contempt. You will not regret a single thing at that point if you were obedient to the Lord. For now your Savior is coming, and you will say, Lo, this is my God. I have waited for him. I will rejoice and be glad in his salvation. But there's something else. Noah and his family were not the only ones in the ark. Noah and his family were not the only ones in the ark. Who else was in the ark? Animals. Noah had a zoo. 
Must have been kind of cool. All those animals. And you know, it's interesting to me as I read Genesis chapter 6 and 7, I find nowhere where, where, where Noah is going out and setting traps to capture the animals so that he can preserve them in the ark. Like Hollywood would like you to think. There's nowhere where Noah is going out and luring the animals in with some tasty morsel of food. There is nowhere in the Bible where we find Noah doing anything to manipulate the animals coming into the ark. But what we actually find is a miracle of God. And I can only imagine what was going through the minds of the wicked people. They've heard this message of God for 120 years. And then all of a sudden, this miraculous miracle begins to happen. And the animals march two by two and seven by seven right into the ark. Unguided by any man's hand. They just simply are plodding ahead, one foot in front of the other. They wind around the corner. They come up to the ramp. They step on the ramp. They walk up into the, onto the ramp. They walk through the door, into the ark. They turn left. They turn right. They go up. They go down. They march straight into their stalls. Noah and his family walk in behind them, and they close the gates into this, of the stalls behind these animals. And there they are inside of the ark, obedient to their creator's voice. Listen to this, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 97, one-liner. She says, animals obeyed the command of God while men were disobedient. What? Listen to this, listen to this. The antediluvian world was so wicked that they fell below the intelligence of animals. She tells us they became like brute beasts, the antediluvian world did. The animals could hear the voice of their creator while the ones who were made in the image of God as a crowning act of his creation to be his companion could not even discern the voice of God in their own personal lives. The animals obeyed. They were saved. Because all who obey will be saved. And I pray that your spiritual intelligence is above that of the animals. For the Bible tells us that we were were created above the intelligence of the animals. We were made in the image of God. We were made to have a communion and a relationship with God like none of the animals of this earth. Yet the animals show us how truly wicked the antediluvian world was. So two rules that are without exception. All who disobey will be lost, destroyed. All who obey will be saved. And brothers and sisters, let us not be like that class outside of the ark. That miss out on the appeals of God and following through with those appeals. I can't help this, but I have to do it again. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 95. I read this yesterday, but it's so, so compelling, I just have to repeat it. Noah gave the world an example of believing just what God says. 
Can you see that clearer now? He didn't question anything. He just did exactly what the Lord said. And then she says, all that he possessed, he invested in the ark. God has given you so many talents and so many resources that you are privileged, not required, not required to, but you are privileged to invest in the building of the ark. What are you going to do with those resources? The Japanese army was closing in on the mission compound in Rangoon, Burma. The missionaries stayed as long as they could, but the enemy was advancing. They had to get out of there. The locals had already left. And the mission workers were going about their work, packing their bags. They could only take one bag with them. They'd leave everything else behind. Eric Behair, the great missionary in the Adventist church, tells a story of a finely dressed woman who walks into the mission compound, dressed in her expensive clothes. She's fearful for her life, as everybody else is, and she has decided to make the escape while, the, make it, while, while it's good, before the enemy gets there. So she comes to the mission superintendent and she says, listen, I have to flee. I've got my one bag here. I've got to get out of here. I have to leave everything behind. She didn't live far from the mission compound, just around the corner. And she says, listen, I can't bear the thought of my possessions falling into the hands of the enemy. Take everything I have and use it for your work. All that I have, my house, my resources, my furniture, anything I have, take it, use it. I can't bear the thought of the enemy coming and taking it. The mission superintendent said, listen, I'm sorry, but we're getting ready to leave just like you are. We have to leave everything behind. We're packing our one bag right now, the important stuff, and we're taking off just behind you. He said, if you had come a couple of weeks ago, we could have taken you up on your offer. We could have used every bed, every piece of furniture, every table, every chair. We could have used your house. We could have used everything that you had. But it is too late now. We're right behind you, leaving everything behind. Eric Behar overhears this conversation. He's eavesdropping from a distance. And as the woman hears the mission superintendent say, it's too late. We are leaving too. Eric Behar watches as the woman turns away towards the door. She takes the scarf that she spent money on and she puts her face in the scarf and she mutters to herself, oh, how I wish. Oh, how I wish. And I'm sure you can finish the sentence. Oh, how I wish. I would have come and given them my belongings sooner. I know you want to do what's right. I know you want to be in the kingdom of heaven. And I know that your hearts are in the right place and that you're looking forward to the soon coming of Jesus. But, but, but don't be like that, lady. Now is the time to make the investment into God's cause. Now is the time to invest all that we have in the building of the ark. 
some of you are like those who heard the message of Noah and were convicted in the time of the flood. Your heart's been touched by the messages here at AOI, and you've made decisions that you want to follow Christ. You've come forward for appeals. You've made those decisions in your heart. You've talked to various speakers or other event organizers. And you've expressed your faith and your desire to obey and follow God. But I want to tell you something this morning, young people. Making a decision for God is not good enough. Making a decision at AOY is not good enough. Maybe you've heard the little funny story. It goes something like this. There are three frogs sitting on a log in a pond. One decides to jump off. How many are left? How many are left? Two. Now, I'm going to tell you one more time, and I want you to listen carefully. There are three frogs sitting on a log in a pond. One decides to jump off. How many are left? There are three. Why? Because deciding is not the same thing as doing. The devil likes it when you make decisions. He hates it when you follow through with a decision. You heard Pastor Ramden yesterday in the Q&A panel. Big groups of people, 200 people came forward to service for the Lord in short mission work. One follows through. The devil likes that. Go ahead, make your decision. Get the warm, fuzzy feeling in your heart that you are being obedient to the Lord. Get your spiritual high at AOY, but just don't follow through with it. I want to keep you lukewarm. I want to keep you Laodicean. Go ahead. You can go ahead. Make your decision. Listen to me. Your decision will ultimately either bear fruit or not bear fruit when you get home tonight. When you wake up tomorrow, what are you going to do with the decisions that you've made here? Are you going to decide and not do? Or are you going to decide and do? Now, some of you have made a decision and you're saying, I will do it later. I'm going to speak to that for just a moment. I'm just speaking to a small group of people. I was doing a meeting in Cincinnati, Ohio, and there's a man coming by the name of Emmanuel. He was completely blind. He couldn't see a thing. He sat in the second row on my right-hand side every night. And Emmanuel was such an encouragement in my meetings, listening to the messages. He would shake my hand vigorously and say, thank you, Pastor, for the message. Praise God. I would visit him in his home, and he was so ecstatic of the messages that he had heard. And I got to the end of the meetings, and I asked Emmanuel, I said, Emmanuel, what are you going to do with what you've learned in these meetings? What do you think about the Sabbath? Oh, pastor, it's a wonderful message. What do you think about the state of the dead? It's clear from Scripture. What do you think about your body being the temple of the Holy Spirit? Amen. Emmanuel, what are you going to do with what you've learned? He said, Pastor, listen, I have obligations I have obligations to my church. Once I have fulfilled those obligations, I will then put into practice what I've learned in this Bible prophecy seminar. And I looked at him, and I wish, as God is my witness, that he could have seen my eyes. 
Because I looked at him right in his blind eyes and I said, Emmanuel, if you don't follow through with that decision today, you may never follow through with it. <laughs> that was almost 10 years ago. As far as I know, I just had contact with that church just a couple of months ago. Emmanuel has never acted on that decision because he put it off. I'll do it later. You know the old saying, tomorrow never. Some of you have made decisions and you say, I'll do it at a more convenient season. There is never a more convenient season to act on a decision than the present. It doesn't get any more convenient. It only gets harder because the conviction begins to wane. And we begin to grieve away the Holy Spirit. So my appeal to you this morning, you've all made decisions. My appeal to you this morning is, will you follow through with that decision? Exercise your spiritual froggy legs and jump off of the log into the pond. Don't just decide, but do it. Do it by God's grace in the fear of God. Do what God is calling you to do. Be the modern day Noah that God is calling you to be. Be the modern day Micaiah that God is calling you to be. Be the men and women, the young people of moral courage that God is calling you to be. Don't be another statistic, at least a bad statistic. I pray that next year at AOI, when we meet, we'll be able to say, listen, we had X amount of decisions and we had this many people follow through and it'll be a higher number than it's ever been before. Are you hearing me, young people? Are you hearing me? Listen, if you don't act on that decision, your heart is only going to get harder towards God. And the next appeal is going to come and it'll be easier to put that decision off yet again. And this is the process of committing the unpardonable sin. Rejecting the moving of the Holy Spirit in your life. Until you get to the point where you can no longer hear that voice speaking to you any longer. All you simply have to do is say, yes, Jesus, I will do what you've called me to do. How many of you this morning... And I'm not asking for everybody to respond to this, only if the Lord is telling you to. I'm tired of seeing people do things because of their peer pressure of other people around them. But close your eyes right now and listen to the Spirit speaking to you. How many of you, with your eyes closed, will tell the Lord before a holy assembly of God that you will act on the decisions that you have made and I want to tell you, young people, do not stand if you're not going to do it. Because if you do, you will be blasphemous in the eyes of the Lord. If you want to tell the Lord, I will act upon the decision that I have made, stand and let him see that. Keep your eyes closed. Don't look at what's going on around you. Don't even listen to the sounds of people standing up. Focus. Focus on the Lord. Father, I'm standing because I want to make this commitment to you that I will act on the decisions that I have made. That I won't be the antediluvian world that hears 
but does not follow through, but that I will be like Noah, who hears the voice of God and obeys implicitly. Is there anybody else who wants to make this solemn commitment to the Lord this morning? Before God, before the Holy Spirit, before the angels of heaven, Lord, I make this commitment to you. I will follow through with the decisions that I've made by your grace and through your strength. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. Listen to the Lord's voice speaking to you in the quietness, the stillness of this group. Father, Father in heaven, you have spoken to us this morning through your word. Father, we have more in common with the wicked outside of the ark than we do with Noah. We're so apt, Lord, to buckling to the pressures of society. We're so weak and frail. But Father, this morning we stand before you in the presence of an awesome God because we recognize that weakness and the need for your omnipotent strength. And so, Father, we stand because we are telling you, by your grace, through your strength, we will go forward with the decisions that we have made. We will spend that thoughtful hour each morning in the contemplation of the life of Christ. We will spend more time in prayer. We will spend more time trying to understand the principles of righteousness by faith and personal excellence. We will prepare ourselves for the final events that are soon to close on this earth's history. By your grace, we will be men and women of moral courage. Standing for what's right, though the heavens fall. Oh God, help us, we're weak. We need a revival here in Malaysia. We need an army of young people that are rightly trained. And Lord, we've done our best in this event to train the young people. And now we pray that you will breathe your spirit of power and life into each one of them as they go forth to conquer in the name of the Lord. Lord, let us be modern-day Noahs. This is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.